What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. Are you there? I gave you a little bit of time to get to Acts chapter 2. Had a couple things to say while you went there. If you're new, this is the, the portion of our worship experience where we, where we go to the Bible. That's something we do absolutely every single week. Uh, we don't have talks. This isn't a TED Talk. We're not up here giving uh, a motivational speech for you. We're going to the Word of God because we want to know what God has for us so that we can live, live this thing called life and do it in the context um, that, that God desires us to do it. Because when we, when we do things God's way, it actually uh, produces way more life in us and it produces way more life through us so that we can impact people around us. And that's what we're going for today. So I want to read a uh, verse out of Acts chapter 2. We're in the New Testament. Uh, I'm going to read verses 41 through 47. And, uh, and we're going to wrap up. This is actually part two of uh, a message I started two weeks ago called The Devoted Ones in our Book of Acts series. So in verse 41, it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized. See, we're still doing it today, 2,000 years later. We're still baptizing people. Were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Peter had just finished giving basically the first gospel message of the church ever. And uh, and so there was a a significant response to that. In verse 42, it says, all the believers, somebody say all. All. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing in meals. Somebody say amen. We love to share meals. Well, some of y'all like to share. Others just like meals. Uh, Including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, there's that word all again, met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Such a powerful, powerful passage that sets the tone for us to understand who the church is, what the church is, and who we're supposed to be today as a result of what started 2,000 years ago. Amen. Let me pray for you real quick, and then we'll dive right into this. Jesus, we, uh, we love you. Father, we thank you that you uh, allow us to come together in your name, and that you actually promise us that when we do gather together in your name, you're right here with us. And so I pray today that you would help us to open up our minds, open up our hearts. God, we want to grow. We want to receive all the things that you would speak to us today. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. 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 We're going to tackle a couple of things today um, that wrap up what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And if you missed it, I'm not going to re-preach that message. So you can go back to our podcast, go back on our YouTube channel. You can watch the part one of this message. Uh, But we're, we're talking about the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts as a church and uh, because the, the book of Acts is what tells us what the church is and it also helps us to find our identity, like our individual identity as well as our collective church identity. 
It's not something that we're supposed to figure out on our own. It's not something that we're supposed to have our own personal understanding of who the church is and who I am. God does that for us. And that's not a closed-minded thing. That's actually a very, very life-giving thing that God would not just create us but also make sure that he communicates to us who we are in him and who we are together. It's a big deal. And so through this series, we're talking about the church. Now I'll go back to the pop quiz. Who is the church? We are, right. And it's not, remember, it's not I am, it's we. It's we are. The church is what happens when we come together under the name of the Lord. And so we begin to see who the church is. We begin to see who we are. We begin to identify ourselves as God says that we are, not just who we endeavor to be in a, in a really, uh, maybe you would call it a crazy world that we live in. And so let's, I want us to, uh, let's put up the definition of, of church. And uh, because this is something that's important to, for us to get the, the right definition of the word church, we're actually going to read this together as soon as we get it up there. The definition of church is the church is consistent and faithful gathering is coming up any second now. I think it's maybe like the second or third, maybe the fourth one. We love our team. That's good. Yeah, there we go. All right, so if you can, if you can read this, I want you to read this with me. Is that okay? Can you all do a little little class session here. The church, the consistent and faithful gathering of Jesus followers filled with the Holy Spirit who have devoted themselves to biblical discipleship, fellowship, prayer, and fulfilling the Great Commission. That's good stuff. Well done, class. You all get a gold star for today. So why is it important for us to put a definition together and where this definition come from? This isn't my definition. This is Bible definition. This comes from what we just read in Acts chapter 2. It tells us what constitutes what makes the church. Because, again, the church isn't just when people who believe in God show up. The church takes formation when there are certain things that we devote ourselves to as a result of what God has done for us. Anybody can gather together and talk about God and think we're the church. But we have to get specific about who God's created us to be and who God has called us to be so that we can actually perform in our world what the church is supposed to be. Somebody say amen. So as we, again, as we go through the book of Acts again, this isn't just a study. This is us trying to help, help our identity come alive. But we need to understand there's, there's a message throughout the entire book of Acts. So if you follow it, kind of the first half follows uh, the Apostle Peter, and then the second half kind of follows the Apostle Paul, but they're not the center focuses of the book of Acts. The center focuses the Holy Spirit. The message of Acts is actually this. For us to do the things that God wants us to do, we cannot do those things without the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. Because when we, when we try to act uh, Christian outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually just become very weird and religious. <laughs> we, we become what, be, what is actually a bad taste in the mouth of the world around us because we're trying to fabricate something that we don't have the strength to do on our own. And so we do it on our own efforts, and then we also end up doing it based on our own definition of what we think it is, what we're comfortable with, what we've been shown, not necessarily what Scripture teaches. So that's why it's important for us to understand, hey, there's a reason why we need the Holy Spirit. So if I, if I can even recap that, 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 the first part of Acts, chapter 1. Chapter 1 is Jesus, uh, or, or Luke, Luke is telling us that Jesus gave those final instructions to the church. He's like, go and preach the gospel. But before you do that, you're going to need power because you don't have what it takes on your own to go and do what I've called you to do. 
So he says, so wait in Jerusalem until I send the promise, until I send the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit literally blowing up on the scene as the early church gathered together and waited for what Jesus had promised. And so once, literally, once the Holy Spirit shows up on the scene, fills all the believers, they instantly begin to spill out and do the thing that God had called them to do, which is the Great Commission. It's getting the good news message, the gospel message, out of the walls of the church into the cities where we're supposed to be impacting. And that's where it brings us to today. So again, we're talking about devoted and, uh, and I want to give that definition too, devoted. Uh, devoted means to, to commit or to give yourself to something or someone. So when we're devoted to the things that God is calling us to, to the, to the church and to our identity in Christ, we're giving ourselves to it. We're not trying it out. We're not attending something. We're not defined by what we attend. We're defined as a Christian by what we commit ourselves to. And some of the, uh, some of the antonyms of this uh, is to, to ignore. Like if you're not devoted to what God has asked you to be devoted to, then we are ignoring what God has asked us to be devoted to. We are neglecting what God has called us to do. We are misusing the name that has been given to us in Christ. That's kind of that's powerful. Don't let that hurt you too much, but like that's something where we've really got to check ourselves when it comes to, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? We got to make sure we're representing the way that we should, Amen. The devoted ones live in a divided world, yet we keep our eyes focused on Jesus and their life is pointed to what matters in eternity. And so here's one thing that I want us to kind of rehearse as we go back into this again. When you encounter Jesus, like hearing, hearing that testimony when she was getting baptized, like in, the, in just the, the, the heart and the emotion that was connected to it, that's because there was a transformation that took place. There was an encounter with Jesus that changed something from the inside out. It wasn't just, hey, who wants to get saved? On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. All right, yay, that was awesome. Now what? All right, let's go to lunch. I don't know what we do next. Let's, uh, no, like there's, there's something that happens inside of us when we truly encounter Jesus. There's a, there's a transform. There has to be. Because without Christ, we're dead on the inside, and we're working on being dead on the outside. But when we, when we invite Christ into our life, all of a sudden, boom, everything begins to change. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Guys, listen to that, a new person. You're new. You're not just reformed. You're not just fixed. You're not duct taped together as a better version of who you used to be. You are a new person in Christ. So maybe you're coming from an extreme background, extreme brokenness, addiction, whatever it is, things that everybody else who knew you said, oh, that person, that's X, Y, and Z. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I, know, I know him, I, I grew up with him. Whew, that's a piece of work right there. No, like people know you for who you were, but God no longer sees you for who you were because you're no longer that person, you're a new person in Christ. That's a big deal. <clears throat> so when the New Testament church was born, people had to choose to devote themselves to something new. And this is what I love about the Holy Spirit being involved because like we can all, because the new year is coming up, y'all, let's be real. Every single one of us is going to be like, this is my year. I'm going to eat better. I'm, I'm going to put the bread away. Like, we're, like can we be honest? Like, it's gonna, we're, gonna, we're all going to do it, and we should. We should try. But at some point in that journey, we're going to at least face the significant temptation to be like, well, you know, one donut's not going to kill anything. And then, boom, off the wagon. There we go. You know, so, but, so that, that, and, but that's what happens in our spiritual walk without the Holy Spirit. We can try to devote ourselves to all these things that we're talking about being devoted to. It's fantastic. We should. But without the Holy Spirit to empower us on that journey, we're going to fall off that wagon. 
but we still have to choose to devote ourselves. And that's what the early church did. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to a new way of thinking, a new lifestyle, a new way of operating so that they could be a conduit, a channel, a steward for the Holy Spirit to flow through. We talked about how devotion follows salvation. All these 3,000 people that after Peter preached, boom, they were impacted by the gospel of Jesus. And three th- it, says, it doesn't say all the people. It says 3,000. That tells us that there were also a lot more people there that chose not to believe. And that's the reality of the world in which we live. It's, we're not always going to see everyone get saved all the time. We want it. We pray for it. We believe it. We don't quit. We don't give up. But 3,000 people said yes that day. And as, as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. So devotion to Christ, here's, here's what we have to understand about devotion. Devotion to Christ is a gratitude response for all that God has done. Even if the only thing that you can recognize that God has done in that moment is he saved your tail. He's <laughs> like, he saved you. Like, I, I, I'm going ha- to be devoted to this because I'm so grateful for what God did for me. Devotion is also your responsibility. In verse 42 it says, and they devoted themselves. So it wasn't, so here's, here's the thing, like, I can't devote you. I can't make, I can't get up here and, and like scream my face off preaching the Bible so that you can be like, okay, I guess now I'll, all right, you convince me. You can, I'll be devoted all week because of what you said. No, that's not going to work. Like, I can't make you devoted. Uh, uh, you know, your spouse can't make you devoted. Uh, you know, nothing around you can force you. God won't even force you to be devoted. You have to choose to be devoted. It says the early church devoted themselves. They chose to lean into the environment. And the things that they devoted themselves, the two things we hit last week were uh, biblical discipleship, which that was the apostles' teaching, which means that we are, we are committed to allowing formation in our life to take place based on what Scripture teaches us, not based on what's going on in the world around us, what we're comfortable with, what somebody else said, or I saw this over here. What does Scripture say? What is the Holy Spirit doing? And also to biblical fellowship, hanging out, being together. That's why we... I know everybody loves a 60-second convo. We are committed to that because for the very reason like Pastor Amy and Pastor Rocky's up here doing that, they're like, we don't do church with strangers. Why? Well, we have a biblical mandate to have fellowship. And sometimes I have been places where they're like in a worship service where I literally had zero opportunities in the entire experience to even say hi to the person sitting next to me. Right? It, was, it was in, it was up, it's down, it's talk, 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 it's bye, get out of here, we got another group of people coming in here. Where for us, we're like, we're, we're going to force interaction in Jesus' name. <laughs> and and it all, I mean, for, you know, because like, I don't know, I'm, I, make, I like to make a percentage, just 80% of people are introverts, okay? So, and so we know that. Like, I, I know that that's people like, oh, okay, be like, oh, man, I really got to go to the bathroom. All of a sudden, Time to check my phone and fake a phone call. Okay. But we know, but we hear testimony and testimony of people that that's where, even though they were uncomfortable, they began to meet people and make connections. And that's just a fraction of fellowship. Fellowship is doing life together. And so that's part of the thing that we are, we are mandated to do. But here, here are the two that we're going to get to today. And both of them are, are, large, are large topics, but we're going to condense it just to, I really want to demystify what some of these things are so that you can know it's relevant and, and tangible for you. The first one is we are devoted to prayer. Wow, we're going to talk about prayer in church. Big shocker right there, okay. So we're devoted to prayer, and we're devoted to, uh, to the Great Commission. We're devoted to the Great Commission. So, so those can, you know, depending on where you are in your journey with the Lord, those can be like, oh, wow, I don't know, like, 
I'm not good at praying. What, are they going to make me, like, come up and pray in a microphone? Oh, my gosh. I need to leave. Pastor Keith's getting nervous already. Um, <laughs> or the Great Commission. Like, what, like, does that mean we all have to go to different countries? Like, what are they going to make us do? So let's demystify this because it's so important for us to understand that God is not calling us to do things that are impossible for us to do. They may be challenging, but even within this, this is something that has to do with the basic relationship that God wants us to do. So, so that, let's talk about we are devoted to prayer. Uh, the church was not devoted to um, generic prayer as some spiritual ritual. The church was not devoted to opening a book and reading things that somebody else wrote down, and that can be helpful sometimes, but okay, I, I recited some prayers, close a book and go. No, because if I had a relationship with my wife like that, where I would just open up my phone and be like, all right, I need to Google uh, 10 conversational topics to have with your spouse when you don't know what to talk about. How is the weather today? You look nice. Uh, okay, I pray. You know, it's like, that's not going to work. What kind of relationship is that? Like, that would be terrible. God wants a relationship with you where there is actual communication taking place. The church was not devoted to moments of silence and listening to someone else pray who's better at praying than they are. <clears throat> The church was not dedicated to throwing up prayers to the man upstairs. Thank you, country music. That, that's like, that's not what they were devoted to prayer. So what is it, okay? Uh, they were devoted to communication with God that was real, that was personal, that was valuable, and that was powerful. They were devoted to prayer, listen, as a lifestyle and a lifeline. Sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, like, the importance of prayer pops up in my life when I get into a 911 situation. You know what I'm saying? Like when, when you are in a situation where there you don't know what else to do, so you pray. And that is, the, that is a backwards application of the discipline of prayer. Prayer should never be our last resort. It should be our first priority. And so, and, and you know, like they, the amens coming from that, I, I can tell are both like exuberance and also like conviction. Like, amen, pastor, I need to be, so do I. Like, I, I don't, I'm not up here on some high horse be like, if you would just do it the way I do it, then we would all be in a better world. No. A Christian, a couple of statements here. And these are, yeah, just trying to paint a picture. Hopefully this is okay. A Christian who has no active or lively prayer life is a Christian the enemy is not concerned with. Those who have no prayer life who think they are experiencing such great attack from the enemy, but, but you're actually not. What you're experiencing is a disconnection from relationship with God. I mean, just, just think about that from a practical sense. Like, if, there was a, if you're in a fight with somebody and they're not even engaging something that could give them an upper hand so that you have to come up with a strategy, like, you're not even going to, it's, it's not a threat to you. A, a church or a church person, a Jesus follower who's not a prayer, is of no concern to the enemy. So when you don't have a prayer life, it means that you are lacking personal relationship with God. Not necessarily talking about salvation, I'm talking about the ongoing relationship that the Father desires to have with you. Tapping into the Holy Spirit that is, that is when you don't have an active prayer life, is a prisoner inside of you. Not, not being the power inside of you, we actually make the Holy Spirit a prisoner inside of us. And they were like, man, the devil is just after me. The devil is out. I'm telling you, the warfare is intense. I mean, you should have seen the people cut me off in traffic. My boss is a jerk. Uh, my, my, my spouse, I mean, 
doesn't even care about me. My kids are, and I'm like, well, what, tell me about your prayer life. Well, you know, I really don't, I know I should, Pastor. I know I should. It's like, oh, well, if you not, then what you are experiencing is not spiritual warfare. What you are experiencing is not being tapped into a relationship with God that feeds and funnels the other relationships around you. This is not, don't, this is not a condemnation challenge right now, but hopefully there is some conviction in there, right? Like the Holy Spirit comes to convict. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to condemn you. So if you are feeling a little bit of conviction, and that's okay. Take it to the Lord in prayer, okay? That was too easy. Um, so all right, so one more, one more kind of tough one. But, but it's gonna point, hopefully it'll point us in the right direction. A, a life without prayer is a lifestyle, is a defeated reality. A life without prayer is a defeated reality. But here's the cool thing, like it doesn't have to be. Like it absolutely does not have to be. You, you can't walk in victory without being in faithful communication with the one who gives you victory. Right, so I, I think if we can all, any, any like, I mean, not just currently, because I'm not a video gamer now, but, like, when I was a kid, I was. You know, Sega Genesis, Nintendo, that was how Donkey Kong, when that little thing that flipped open. Anybody have one of those? Anyway, so, so, so you know, there, you know, sometimes, like, old school, there were cheat codes. Like, I'm talking, like, old school Nintendo, up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A, select, start. Like, cheat codes so that you could, so that you could have an advantage. Guys, I'm telling you. Prayer is not some like distant religious when I get better at reading the Bible then I can learn how. No, prayer is simply you opening your mouth and having a conversation with God. You don't have to say like thee and thou and thouest and, you know, all those. You're like, oh, you know, and then we, we kind of, but we do things that maybe we've seen modeled. So we're like, I got to pray. But like, oh, greatest. Uh, you know, we just kind of go in this realm and God's like, I think he smiles. I think he's like, okay, that's. But I think what he wants to say is, like, just talk to me. Just talk. How do you talk to other people? You're like, well, maybe we don't need to talk to God how we talk to everybody. <laughs> but with, with that, with that, just that sincerity in our heart, like your, your closest friends, like who, who, who do you talk to? Who do you have conversations with? Take that to the Lord. Be open. Give him an opportunity to connect with you right where you are. Those devoted to prayer who are also devoted to biblical discipleship and fellowship, these are the ones that the enemy is concerned about. And here's the cool thing. When you have those things going in your life, yes, the enemy does want to come for you, but these individuals don't live in fear of what the enemy is trying to bring. You got, you got to understand that. Like, if, if you are experiencing actual spiritual warfare, there's nothing for you to be afraid of. You should actually smile about that because there is something going on in your life that the enemy does not like. There is something happening in and through your life that is creating impact bigger than yourself, that's connecting to the kingdom of God, that's reminding the devil that he already has lost, he is a loser, and forever will be a loser. And so, yeah, yes, he wants to disrupt that. He wants to distract you. Like, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but it's all coming from a place of deception because he doesn't actually have any real power over you. The only power that the enemy has over Christians is that which we give him or that which we delegate to him. He has no authority. He has no power over us. He just talks loud and tries to, like, scare us. So I don't want to say that it doesn't exist. It's very, very real. But you have to understand that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive inside of those who call in the name of Jesus. So let's not sell that short. What do we pray about? Pray about everything. That's in the Bible. Pray about everything. Now, can we get more specific? Because I've, I've talked to some people that have some really, really weird applications of everything. Um, yes, you do not need to ask Jesus if you should put on deodorant or brush your teeth. 
real conversation I had. Not here, long time ago, but it was real. There are things that don't need to be prayed about, even though the Bible says pray about everything. This is the context. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 6 and 7. It says, don't worry about anything. That should bring conviction on a lot of people right there. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What's the context? The context are the heavy things in life that could tend to cause you to worry. Worry is when we lose sight of our trust that God has everything under control. Worry creeps into our life when we either don't believe that God's word is true or we remove God from the equation of what we're facing because it's greater than we can handle and our human flesh says, I'm worried about this. But what scripture says is those things, those are the everything that we should say. Instead of worrying about that, we should pray about those things. It says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. God's peace. Not your peace. Not somebody else's peace. Not a fraction, not a version. God's peace will come alive inside of you when you take the things that the world tries to crush you with and you give them to the Lord. And you begin to demonstrate gratitude, thanking God for all the things that he has already done. And that actually begins to build faith in you for the things that he is still going to do. It says his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. So prayer positions us in God's will. So if, I can, if there's any one thing that I can demystify about prayer, it's, it's take, take the religiosity out of it. Yes, as, as just like any uh, solid relationship, the more you communicate, the, the greater depth of intimacy there is. The, the more you learn how to interact with somebody in that context. Same with God. Like, if, if you're like, well, who do I pray for, God the Father? Who do I pray to, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Here's the deal. Since it's one God that has three manifestations, yes, Jesus teaches, like, when you pray, pray to the Father. We do so in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. But if this isn't like Jesus gets an, an email and it's, you're praying to him, but you should have said the Father, and he sends it back to you. He's like, actually, this isn't for me. So I'm not going to be able to hear this prayer because he didn't give it to me. It's like, come on. That's, that's stupid. So that's, that's when we start getting religious about like, well, it says pray to the Father. So if you don't pray to the Father and you say the Holy Spirit or Jesus, then it's not going to work. Come on, guys. Can we give God a little bit more credit than that for the relationship that he desires to have with you? He's not that picky about wanting to be connected with you. Just talk to God. And as you grow in biblical discipleship, as you grow in the fellowship with the church, you will learn how to pray in deeper ways as you go. But start right where you are. I want to, can I, I'll, I'm going to go on a little bit of a walk. Is that okay? Because um, I don't think we'll get any feedback from the speaker, but if we do, we'll be all right. So back here on this back wall, if you've never seen this, this is our, this is our prayer wall. So back on this wall, so by the way, anybody who wants to, you can write, you can write prayer requests on these walls because this wall gets prayed over every single week. Sticky notes up here represent prayers that have been answered. And so more, every week we see a couple more sticky notes that get, get popped up here. But there's, guys, there's big stuff up here. Like there's, there's everything from like some of the things that we would see because we don't know the context. We're like, oh, that's cute. That's like a cute prayer request. You know, God be with them. But then we also see people battling cancer. 
We see people who are praying for their adult children who are far from God. Where we see people who uh, prayer requests for drug addiction. We see prayer requests for jobs and homes. We see prayer requests for like revival in our entire our, our region for God to do something in our region that that needs to be done. Healing. Uh, praying for uh, pros- the legalized prostitution to be ended in our state. Praying for for miracles. Praying for our team, our church. Praying for other churches. Like there are there are huge things on this wall. And we're believing that God, as we continue to bring these things to him, is the God who has the solution, the answer for every single one of these things. So we look up there, and I, I, see, I, see, um, I see healings on the sticky notes. I see people got jobs, people got homes, um, testimonies of people who have gotten saved, people getting baptized. Like, it's all over the place. Like, God is doing stuff, but sometimes the things that we don't see happening are the things that we're not giving to God. Like, why, why is that? Why do we limit God when we know that he's God, right? Why do we, like, he created the universe with his words. He created humanity with his hands. He created life with his breath. And so, so don't, don't hold back from God. Don't think that he's too busy with somebody else's more important stuff. I want you to know that he can handle it. We have to be a praying church. And so a praying church isn't somebody that just like every once in a while we pray. But like that's why we pray in our, in our services. That's why we every Tuesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. and anybody's invited to this, we, we go back there around that wall and we pray for an hour. If you come to that, we're not going to force you to pray into a microphone. You may just sit there and be silent the whole time. I don't care. But we have the environment where people can come and pray every single week. That's why prayer is a part of every single one of our small groups. That's why prayer is involved in everything that we do on our teams. That's why every Sunday our team gathers at 8.30 to pray for what's gonna happen in our experiences. I mean, it's just, it has to be infused in everything that we do. That's why we encourage you, pray with your kids, pray for your family, make it, and it's not just God, bless my food, thank you for my food, that's great. Uh, We're grateful for God's provision. That's wonderful. But come on, like bring the miraculous into your life by opening your heart and your mouth and talking to who God is. And last but not least, we're devoted to the Great Commission. So what is the Great Commission? These are the words of Jesus. In Matthew 28, at the very end, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We saw that today. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. So that's the responsibility that we all have. Now let's demystify this. Let's let's simplify this to make it real. Because does that mean that God wants all of us to go to the other nations? Well, for some of you, maybe. But that's a calling thing. That's, that's, that's connected to who you are. But you got to understand that our mission field is also uh, your home. Our mission field is our, our, our city, our region. Your mission field uh, for the Great Commission is where you are working. It's where God has placed you. It's, it's all these things. And so you gotta, you got to understand that when, when God desires us, desires the church to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission, that's part of what defines us as a church, everything that we do is connected to that. Everything that we do. And if there are things that we are doing that don't produce fruit in that realm, then as a church, we would say, do we even want to be doing that? There's a lot of really cool stuff that churches do that are not bad at all. Like, they're really cool things. But then you have to ask yourself, is this in any way, shape, or form engaged in helping to spread the Great Commission? You know, know, we got to make sure that the further that the church world gets away from the life of the Holy Spirit, 
the more we have to make it up for things that attract people. And if I learned anything in throughout 2020 in the end or like the first part of 2021 when the church didn't have the ability to attract people because everything we were doing was online and we know that everybody was watching Stephen Furtick anyway. So um, <laughs> y'all laugh. I know it's true. I did it. I mean, geez, I couldn't even. Anyway. But then when we reopened the doors of the church, we're like, all right, we're open. Crickets. You know, it's like. Where is, where is everybody? Well, that's because we lost the ability to attract people, and what you can't continue to attract and entertain, you will lose. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important in the power of the Great Commission, because it was the Holy Spirit that showed up. And people were attracted, not because they had the latest and greatest cool thing to get people's attention, but because something blew up that made the cities recognize that God had showed up. So when the, church, when the world begins to see God show up through the churches again, we're going to see some cool things happen. We're going to see more people come to know Jesus than ever before. <clears throat> so listen, the Great Commission is not just for people who are, are pastors or missionaries or people who have that, that really, really, I call it a crazy gift to go talk to strangers on the street and knock on doors. They're like, oh, the Great Commission, that's evangelism. All right, door to door, that's what we're doing. Break out the tracks. Here we go. Some of y'all know, don't even know what that is. Don't even worry about it. You're here in church. You're good. And that's great. Like, that's, you know, there are people that have the gift and the passion to do that. Go get it. But for those who are terrified to even talk to themselves in a the mirror, that doesn't mean that, like, you are, you are incapable of being a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Serving in your church is a part of the Great Commission. Being a part of a small group gives the opportunity to expand the Great Commission. You being available to pray for people. Like, you, there are people at your work where God is like, will you pray for them? Like, they're even coming up to you telling all this stuff. They're coming up to you asking for help, even though they're not asking for help. Like, hey, they're not, they're saying, hey, can you pray for me? But they're telling you everything that's going on in their life, and all you had to do is be like, man, that is so hard. Um, I've been through some stuff in my life, and, and God's really helped me. Can I, can I just pray for you? Is that cool? 99.999, yes, percent are going to say, uh, yeah. You can pray for me. Even sometimes they don't, they're afraid to say no. But nonetheless, they're going to say yeah. And so you just pray for them. God, you know this person. You know what they're going through. Would you, would you help them in this time? As simple as that. I, you, you just don't know. Some of you maybe have even been the recipient of somebody that did that for you. And it, and it did something to you. And it, like all of a sudden it opens up somebody's mind and realize, well, there's something going on here. There's something bigger than me. There's, there's, there's an awareness of what I'm going through that's, bigger than I realized. Come on, we got to allow the work of God, the Great Commission to flow through us. Can I pray for you this morning? Moses, go ahead and go hop up on these keys. And, um, <clears throat> the church is who we are. And the world desperately needs us to not just be an organization, um, the church is not supposed to be a social justice movement. This, this needs way more time, but let me just say this. Um, the gospel will always be the most powerful justice tool that our world will ever know. The, the gospel is the answer for every single injustice that exists in our world. 
what we see happening in our modern day culture with the social justice movement is that it has a great desire to see something fixed, but the methods that get used to try to fix a problem create a hundred more problems. To bring justice in one area through many methods ends up creating injustices in a dozen other areas. What the gospel does is it actually, because the injustice that we experience in our world is the product of sin. It's like, it, it just is. Like it's the product of a broken world. And the problem can never be the solution. That's why Jesus had to come. So what we see happening in the world around us is there are, there are attempts to make things right, but the attempts to make things right end up creating divisions in dozens of people groups. People are being alienated into identity groups, but what the gospel does is it actually brings people together. Social justice looks at the world and says someone has to pay. Um, the gospel looks at the sin of the world and Jesus says, I'll, I'll pay for the price for this myself. So when, as a church, when you see us doing things like partnering with Awaken that is working to end human and sex trafficking in our region, that's not because we're on a social justice soapbox. It's because, um, it's because the thing that creates that need is an evil sin. And the people that are involved in it are not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. The devil is the enemy. The principalities and the powers of darkness is the enemy. So we get involved with that as a church because we want to bring the gospel in the light of Jesus to people who are impacted by that industry or even people, uh, men and women, who are on the providing side of that industry. They're all broken people that need Jesus. When we get involved with an organization like Eddie House, it's not a social project. It's because um, the heart of God is for teenagers and young adults to not have to live in a cycle of homelessness. They need to know that there is, there's hope, there's answers. When we get involved with Foster the City and we begin to engage in the problem that exists in our region where there are more kids being put into foster care than there are families and homes to actually take care of them. Um, that's not because you know, it's a social project, it's because it's the gospel. It's because God's heart is for the orphan and for the widow, for the down and out, for the disenfranchised, for the broken. So, so you gotta understand, like the, the, the gospel, as, as a Christian, it's important to understand that because some of the things that can be presented in culture around us can seem attractive, be like, yes, that's what the church should be about. But it ends up taking us in a direction that loses sight of the gospel. It loses sight of the thing that actually gives hope and gives answers. And so that's why churches, that's why we're going through the book of Acts. That's why we need to understand who the church is and who God has called us to be. Because if we are not, we will still have a desire to do good things, but we'll do it in a different direction. Our attempts to help people will actually end up hurting other people. And that's not the heart of God. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories, and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.